Welcome to the Resound Worship Songwriting Podcast, episode 40. I'm Joel Payne. And I'm Chris Tuby. And this is a podcast to equip and inspire grassroots songwriters serving their local church. In this episode, we'll be dissecting the classic song, There is a Redeemer. We'll be catching up on all our experiences from the Calvin Worship Symposium in January and generally responding to your tweets, uh, posts and emails. So this month, I'm delighted to be joined by guest presenter, Chris Juby. Chris, welcome to the show. Have you been on the show before? I can't remember. I haven't. My songs have been on, but uh, but not me. Oh, I felt I feel like you've been on. Just nice. Well, you're you're very welcome. Chris is uh, one of our songwriters, and um, Chris, quickly give us a, a two minute biog. Who are you? Yeah, sure. So I'm a director of worship, media, and arts at King's Church in Durham, in the northeast. Come and visit us sometime. Um, a songwriter for Resound Worship, which is clearly my you know highest credential. Um, and uh, fun fact: a few years ago, I summarized the Bible on Twitter and got tens of thousands of followers on Twitter uh, for that endeavor. You did, didn't you? I felt, yeah, and you went, you actually literally went viral. I mean, like you got ill. No, you didn't get ill, but you literally went viral, <laughs> almost literally. I did. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I was interviewed on CNN, and they asked if I was corrupting scripture. It was great. Did they? What did you say? Yeah. A little, said, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> What's yeah, wrong with that? Basically, yeah. Um, that's amazing. Uh, what what made you do that? Um, it was actually in the first instance, I was uh, looking for a way to focus my own Bible reading. I was finding myself sort of, you know, not taking in what I was reading each day, um, and then thought, oh, I'll I'll do a summary. Then I thought I'll put it on Twitter, and it just it just snowballed completely. Within a week of starting, uh, I had. Um, 10,000 followers so <laughs> very surreal yeah that's really good um and you're but you're retweeting them this year is that oh, no that was last year that was yeah yeah oh, 2016 yeah, okay. sorry, sorry folks yeah. i was going to tell news. you you could go and go and look Old them up news. but you can't oh well look chris it's great to have you and chris and i chris and i spent a week um together last week we sort of intended to record this podcast last week while we were at the symposium sort of do it live grab some people but it's all a little bit too um overwhelming i think to be able to do anything yeah. like that so that's fine well let's see let's just catch up a little bit on um so my my thing which is which comes nowhere close to your um your going viral but I, we got our first resound song it makes it sound very small fry we got our first resound song on an official spotify playlist this week and you know Come in on. in about 36 hours it already had more individual listen uh, listeners than any other resound song on Spotify. So that is the power of the Spotify playlist. Yeah. Um, yeah. But kind of nice. Kind of nice they do it. So um, I think if people listen to it, they might think, oh, good, we'll stick another one on. I don't know. I don't know how they found it, but maybe. So what's the name of that playlist, John? That play. Oh, it's called something like Friday Christian. It's also got Snoop Dogg on it. Yeah, I haven't actually listened Snoop to the Dogg's playlist. Released a, he's released a gospel album. Really? I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm eager. <laughs> Fantastic. We, yeah. We're going to review it. We'll be reviewing, we'll be dissecting a classic from Snoop Dogg next time. <laughs> um, so we've done that. We've been at Symposium, we're going to talk about later. Two other things that are just worth highlighting is we launched the Hymns of Peace competition a few weeks ago. Now that is happening. That's basically a jubilate thing. So Resound Worship and Jubilate are both parts of the Song and Hymn Writers Foundation, and um, we're one big family, really. So um, with, with Jubilate, we've launched this thing for the 100th anniversary of the end of the First World War and Armistice Day to write... It's a competition to write a new hymn of peace um, for the churches to sing. Um, it's really, really exciting. We're starting to get a lot of... Um, there's a lot of interest in it, um, certainly social media press radio even tv people it's really catching on because i think it's something that's going to resonate in the public consciousness this year so if you are or could be a hymn writer you've got about two months to get an entry in and it could be either a text or a complete hymn and it can be a collaboration as well you can you, know, you can work with someone else uh have a look google hymns of peace or it's jubilate.co.uk slash hymns of peace and um yeah, check out the details and get entries in. We'd love just to have... We really want to produce something really wonderful. Um, York Minster and St Paul's Cathedral have already said they'll sing it. 
and um, we're going to record a single with Jonathan Vera, members of the All Souls Orchestra, produced by uh, Mark Edwards, who also produces Stuart Townend and various other people. So it's a really exciting thing. Um, so yeah, have a look and enter and share it and tell people about it. Um, mm. And the other thing you need to know is that the early bird rate for the for the Yorkshire Songwriting Retreat ends this Friday. And assuming I edit this in time and get it out, that will be within a couple of days. So um, do come. Oh, Chris, you've been to the Songwriting Retreat. Tell us about that. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, four days away with uh, um, all the space in the world to write songs and connect with uh, others who are doing the same. It is absolutely brilliant. I would wholeheartedly recommend it. Great. So there you go. Check that out on our web page. Um, we need to do some look at some correspondence. We haven't had a lot, actually, um, apart from one saying your podcast isn't working. So that was actually very helpful correspondence. Should you ever feel the need to correspond with us in that way? It's really useful because we otherwise, who knows how long it's going. So there was some some issue with something. We've we've fixed that. We did also just get a tweet uh, from Stuart pointing us to an article on Doxology and Theology website by Caroline Cobb about writing songs from scripture, which I have to say, Stuart, looks really interesting, but it came in so late that I haven't um, I haven't read it. I had a quick scan. It does look really interesting, so we might have a look at that for next time. But I quite fancy the Doxology and Theology Conference, Chris. Have you seen mm. that? That's in um, Kentucky in November. Yes, I'm not I'm not sure I'll get away with another trip to the States this year. <laughs> but uh... I was thinking, about, do you think we can get an invite? Does anybody out there, has anyone out there got reach, influence? Reach out to us. Reach out reach to out, us. I know. Internet. I just feel like it could be a bit warmer in Kentucky in November than it was in Grand Rapids in January as well. Right. <laughs> Let's dissect a classic. Dissect a classic. This month we're looking at the classic song. They don't come much more classic than this. There is a Redeemer by Melody Green. Um, it, 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 well, it was, when I put this together, it was 24 on the current CCLI list in the UK. That may have changed because the whole reporting process has changed and therefore the list mm. looks rather different in the UK. Actually, it looks mm. more like the American list than it used to. However, it's undoubtedly a classic, so we're having it. Um, written in 1977, so that's a good 40 years ago. Um, and basically, it was written, the, the first two verses were written by Melody and the third verse was written by Keith for when he recorded it on his um, on his album. And actually recorded it on his last album, not long before he died in a plane crash. Um, and uh, lots of people find that very poignant because the verse that he wrote was, When I stand in glory, I will mm. see his face, uh, which is quite extraordinary, actually. That's what he, what he mm. chose to add at that time. Um, we're going to have a go at dissecting it. So, Chris, what I mean, I think you know what we do. What we do is we kind of say, yeah, right, it's a classic. We probably shouldn't mess with it. But nonetheless, we're going to have a go um, and we're going to start first up. We're going to say um, what what makes this work? Why is it a classic? So, Chris, give it, give us some ideas. OK, so I think my favourite thing about this song is the chorus by a long way. Um, it's such a brilliant piece of writing, I think. It's in that four lines of chorus. You've got uh, each member of the Trinity named and mm. uh, not just named, you know, Father, Son, Spirit, but actually you've got a, a sense of the story of salvation, the Father sending the Son and leaving the Spirit uh, till the work on earth is done. So the whole of, uh, like, it's a kind of mini salvation history narrative just in a really short chorus, which I find absolutely incredible. Mm. I also really like, I think, you know, we've probably both got uh, some more comments about the verses, but I actually really like the way the second verse takes the themes of the first verse and makes them personal. So the first verse obviously starts, there is a redeemer. And then the second verse starts, Jesus, my redeemer. And I find that quite powerful, actually. Mm, nice. Um, I picked out the um, the chorus, the hook. Thank you. Oh, you can almost slide up to it, can't you? It's this leap up from the five, five, note five up to one. Do, 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 do. It's fantastic to sing. Um, it's... It's exactly the same leap as you get. Um, how great is our God? Um, it's a re it's a great tool. If you want to put a little hook in, throw in a leap like that. That's it, it happens in songs all over the place. Um, I think another strength to it is it has a kind of um, hymn-like movement in it. It feels a bit like a hymn. The, the harmony kind of changes with every note in the way that a, a hymn does, and it has a very steady movement. I, I was actually at a... Um, 
a, meet, a seminar once with somebody of a more contemporary persuasion saying, oh, I like the hymns as well, you know. Thank you, oh my... Well, I think it's not really a hymn. It's <laughs> 77. Anyway. Um, no. And then, yeah, the third thing, but it's, it's that Trinitarianness of it, I think, um, is... It's always strong. It always makes for a strong because it gives it, it makes it solid. It gives it substance um, by doing it that way. Okay, this is onto the the meat of the issue. Uh, had Melody and Keith brought it to our resound songwriting group, Chris, what would you have said to improve? Well, it? so man, it, it's uh, it's a terrifying thing to critique a classic, isn't it? I feel I feel the 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 awe of this responsibility. But uh, I think if if that song was presented to me uh, in a songwriting group, then I would kind of say, look at the verse lyrics. They they just have a slightly first draft feel, if I can say that without uh, mm. being too rude. There's kind of a whole a whole load of issues there. There's uh, you know there's a bit of a sense that it's a kind of random collection of names in both of the first two verses. You know, without particularly any narrative unfolding or any sequence there um the last line of the verses in the first verse you've got holy one yeah. lots of syllables there um but then in the other two verses it's uh, oh for sin a yeah. slang. so you know it's kind of inconsistent uh numbers of syllables there um much as i love the chorus i also think the this the holy spirit and the work on earth which get mentioned every chorus don't make any appearance in the rest of the song and i always like a chorus that really convincingly gathers up the themes of the verses kind of answers the questions of the verses um and if i were to be really critical i would say that the the song sets out saying there is a redeemer but i'm not sure that the verses particularly unpack that idea in a really coherent way uh, a question that i would ask of it is if if we only had that song to go on um how clearly would that explain how Jesus is our redeemer. It doesn't really talk about um, the story of salvation at all. And I, I wonder, for example, whether um, the verses were structured. So like verse one on the incarnation, uh, you know, left your glory, came amongst us. Uh, verse two on the cross and then verse three on our future hope, whether that would actually do a, a kind of more, at least a more coherent job of uh, kind of explaining um, the the story of salvation that then the chorus seems to respond to. Mm. Nice. They'd have gone away in tears, I think. <laughs> no, I don't think they would. It's fine. Well, uh, what else? That's great. I mean, I picked up the same sort of thing as you. I called it songwriting naivety. There's mm. a sort of, just the whole thing has a sort of so many rough edges, lyrical naivety where it's not really crafted. It's just a sort of a collection of in lots of ways, just a collection of words. And you really notice when Keith comes in and writes the third verse that suddenly there's a narrative in that verse. There's a sense mm-hmm. of progression and, and straight. It just, it becomes a sentence. It's got verbs. It's got, you know, that that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And I think that it's always worth looking. It's worth looking at. Just look, check. You've got some verbs somewhere. Um, yeah. I, it rhymes face with place. I know this. <laughs> I mean, maybe it was the first song to do it. I can see yeah, your face where it all came from in that yeah. holy place. But you get this thing that landing word, the final thought is in that holy place, which rhymes with face. Yeah. And I mean, at least swap it round so that you end by seeing his face. There's at oh, least yeah. some strength to it. Um, so, yeah, that's that would be one of one of the things. Um and well, I picked out this thing again. It's similar, this kind of lack of lyrical progression through it in that it's sort of makes a few statements and then kind of half repeats them and then suddenly jumps away somewhere else. Mm. And I hadn't really, I hadn't realised it was, it was a co-write in the sense that it is. Um, and I've actually come to think, well, maybe that's, maybe actually that's a strength of the song, that there's a, there's a scheme to the first two verses where they virtually, they say very similar things in a very similar mm. package. And you could argue, well, that's not a bad way to write a song. It's just a way of meditating on the same idea, make it general, then make it personal. And then when mm. you get to verse three, the song just bursts into life, doesn't it? It's like you suddenly open your eyes to the whole cosmic picture. And That, is, that moment is amazing when you lead it in yeah, worship, actually, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. go to the third verse. And it's made me think, ah, oh, maybe sometimes I'm too tied to the scheme of my song. And right. maybe a tool I could use is, final verse, abandon it. Just say what needs to be said. Um, mm-hmm. 
and that yeah i might give that a try i think i'm thinking that's a kind of i might might try and apply that to some stuff see what happens well there you go we've um dissected the classic song there is a redeemer dissect a classic now we're not going to do the workshop as such this time but instead um chris and i've decided we're going to debrief on the um calvin worship symposium so for those of you who don't know what it is it's a very big conference about 1500 people that takes place every january in grand rapids in michigan and it's uh, put on by the calvin institute for christian worship which is part of calvin seminary there um, directed by john whitfleet and all sorts of other people and it's a kind of it's a gathering would you i it ha, there's a style to it it's a sort of lit, slightly liturgically oriented kind of style yeah, of reformed gathering, liturgical isn't it? isn't it that's the yeah that's the vibe so yeah. it has that so there are all sorts of other worship conferences around but something of this kind of academic caliber and scale i think it's i think you'd say it's the biggest in in the world um must be as far as i know surely yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if there's a big so, so it's great and so it's absolutely packed with stuff but it was a great experience it's a bit um yeah really really special experience for both chris and i and um, mm. the plan was to while we were there kind of have some chats, record some stuff, respond. But actually, we've both gone away thinking, I need to process this. I need to do some serious processing. I was in tears most of the time. So. Oh, goodness, me too. It's, <laughs> it would have been really difficult to record. Um, yeah. So what we've done is we we picked out um, three things each that we felt that was kind of takeaways from it that, that we learnt. Um, and then we'll give a few thoughts. We'll just we'll chat about them a bit, and we hope that by sharing some of that, that's some of this will be really helpful to you um, as well in thinking about songwriting and and I guess just about worship in general. So, um, Chris, do you want to kick us off with what's your first takeaway from the conference? Yeah, so I think my main takeaway, the thing, the theme that's been really in my mind is uh, one that Isaac Wardell, who I know you've had on the show, uh, he was sharing about vocation. He's recording an, al- an album about on that theme, uh, thinking about um, how our worship on a Sunday relates to the work that we all do during the week, not just those of us who are in full-time ministry, but uh, uh, everybody in the congregation, all the different work that we're going to. Um, and his reflection is that we tend to think about vocation in terms of our strengths and our talents. So we think, I've got this set of skills, you've got that set of skills, Uh, Let's go and conquer the world. That's the way that we kind of tend to think about, um, you know, vocation in a Christian context. Um, But his observation is that that actually leaves out quite a lot of people, anyone who doesn't really have the sort of skills that can conquer the world. Mm. Um, And uh, so in his community, they've been beginning to try and think about uh, how to conceive of vocation as being uh, communion rather than dominion. And what he means by that. Um, is a kind of consciousness of actually my weaknesses rather than my strengths. What is it that I lack? And and therefore, uh, I have need of the community. Um, and so finding vocation together, kind of in one another, playing my part in the community. And I found that a really profound observation, both in terms of how do I lead worship on a Sunday and how do I write songs that kind of speak into that? And he's done a great job um, of of gathering songwriters to write on that theme Um, but I think also, uh, in terms of, um, that, that idea of like, how do I conceive of myself as a, as a worship leader and as a songwriter? Am I thinking, um, here's my skills and, and I got to get myself out there and join with others and we can conquer the world. Mm. Um, or am I thinking about my gifts, um, in relation to my need of others and, uh, how can we become closer as a, as a community here, um, through, all of our gifts and all of our weaknesses and being and being kind of open to one another in that i found that really profound i i uh, i also went to one of the things isaac was doing about vocation and there was a um a catholic scholar there who was talking about she'd done a lot of research and um i'll try and dig out actually there's a there's a whole website with lots of resources to do with vocation um and calling but one of the things that struck me was the um how important this whole issue is we we imagine it being something you you kind of wrestle with in your early 20s or something what am i going to do with my mm. life but that mm. actually increasingly and almost as significantly it's something people wrestle with at retirement age when they say mm. well i've got you know 30 years stretching in front of me what am i what what, what am i supposed to be doing lord what's my core what's my what am i for um and so how important the issue actually is for us to to deal with it as a church because quite often people are left to just figure it out on their own 
mm. rather than that seeing something the church helps with. I've got three. I've got two questions with, for you. One is, um, how did you end up playing bass in Isaac's band? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, a, a long and a short story. I have a. I have one of my songs is on uh, uh, one of Isaac's previous albums with Bifrost Arts. Um, I have a song on his Lamentations album. Um, and uh, so we'd corresponded a little bit uh, around when I was sending him the song and things a couple of years back, um, but haven't haven't really been in touch since then. And then on the day before uh, the conference started, I got an email in my inbox saying, "Hey, we need a bass player. Are you up for it? I think I remember you play bass." And I, so I, yeah, okay, sounds fantastic. I knew that there would be, you know, some of my musical heroes, including Isaac, in fact, uh, uh, on the stage. So I was both fearful and also and you were sitting excited. several feet away from sandra mccracken as well weren't you that, that's right that was a great honor yeah, yeah. i know I, was, I mean i'm i'm, I'm laughing because it was absurd but it was really a, a serious honor to to play for some of these talented people oh that's really nice my other question is said so, you know take that collection on the porter's great gate project um which is well worth checking out folks if you mm. haven't seen if you haven't heard it we'll put a link on the um on the pe- on the podcast page um how would you integrate those songs into your to just say take your situation maybe at king's right. church how would you integrate that kind of song into your worship yeah so the the songs on the record for those who haven't heard um you know they very specifically engage with work there's songs called uh things like your labor is not in vain there's a beautiful song about parenthood as uh, a calling from god um there's a song that that names all kinds of different professions and uh kind of speaks a vision for how those things contribute to the kingdom of God. Um, I've been pondering that a lot because I really love the songs and I would love to use them. I think, to be honest, in our context, the most likely spot would be in response to a sermon on those Mm. kinds of themes. We don't have a kind of regular slot where we could, well, I don't think where we could put something like that, but but certainly we we preach frequently enough um, towards a, a kind of, a kind of kingdom and a, you know, vocation, sort of theme that I, th- I think that would be where I could use those songs. Mm. I was thinking in our, our sort of structure, I'm in an Anglican sort of middle of the road, Anglican church. Um, and uh, I say middle of the road, I don't know, probably quite a contemporary one. Um, and we have a, we have a liturgy uh, relatively loose as these things go, but there's often a, there's often a moment before the sermon, which is a sort of, can we sing a song before the reading and the sermon or mm. something? And I often don't really know what to do with it. Sometimes I've, I pick something to try and fit, really well with the theme and other times I just I know it's a punctuation mark in various ways and sometimes I think songs on song for Sundays oh yeah of course (laughs) well so sing those first (laughs) (laughs) um but actually sometimes when it is a punctuation you know this used to annoy me a bit and um I think more have come Mm. around to a kind of great well we can sort of do what we like with this bit so why don't we let's sing a song just explore something completely different and let's just say look this is we're going to do this because it will really help us and bless and encourage us and let's Mm. let's sing it together and Having songs which are, um, which that picture that um, Paul paints, he doesn't quite say it like this, but when you stamp on the foot, the mouth cries out kind of idea, mm. that actually we need to we need to have songs that we sing, which sometimes don't feel particularly relevant to everyone, but they are for certain people. It's, it, so whether mm. it's like that's the one on parenthood or, or all sorts of things, and the same when we do laments and other stuff, just mm. including these things and say it's important that we collectively sing what part of the body needs to needs to express. I think that's good. I'm going to pick out a seminar I went to with a guy called Matt Plesher. Plesker. He's a fine artist um, and a calligrapher, and his was about the creative process. Um, so that was really interesting. Somebody who is a creative for their living, you know, that's what they do every day is they get up and say, I must be creative. Mm. And if you're going to do that, you simply have to have a process because um, w- without it, otherwise you just sit there waiting for inspiration to come along and, and, you know, hope you do something. And so most people who are actually creative and that is their complete living have a process. They have stuff they do. They have exercises, methods and stuff mm. that they work through. And I think maybe it's different sometimes when we're occasional songwriters, we might be apply slightly less of a process and we just wait or hope something will come along. Um so that was helpful, really just seeing the way that he worked and so on. But two things that stood out for me um, from that, which are takeaways, which I can really think of with respect to songwriting. One was this idea of what he called precious passages. Um, but in literature, it's called, uh, they're called darlings. Um, and the idea is you're supposed to murder them. Um, <laughs> so what this, what this is, is uh, he gave the example of when he does a painting 
and he's done this whole he does landscapes generally he's done all this stuff and somewhere in it he's got a um he's done a tree and it's just the best tree he's ever painted and i, I didn't i don't understand mm. enough about painting to really appreciate why the tree was he showed us you know this tree is so just so, just so fantastic i love it um but the rest of the painting isn't working and um or the tree doesn't actually fit in the painting but it's so good it's one of the best things he's ever painted and so he desperately tries in his mind to to convince himself over a period of time no i think it works no i think it definitely works no, i think that could stay in there uh, because he wants to keep this precious what he calls a precious passage or a darling this thing which is such a great piece of creative work, but actually is not helping the project at all. And basically, mm. the only way he's going to get through to the end and complete the thing is to, is in the words of, um, in the sort of the, the literature words, is to murder his darling. And that's to say, actually, no, I need to, I need to kill this thing because it's completely, it is a brilliant piece in itself, but it's not making this work. So mm. his example was that he basically has to get a paintbrush and just grit his teeth and just paint over it because <laughs> once he's yeah. done that that's it it's gone he's lost it so then it is that is well and truly killed and i know i've i've had that experience myself i'm sure you have chris and i've seen so certainly when we work with the resound writers is the kind of it can either be, i think there's two things actually it can either be it, yes that is a fantastic lyric the poetry in that lyric is so good it's rich it's beautifully composed it says something profound but either it's just it's on a different tone to the rest of the song, you've mm. moved off the theme, or it's basically forcing you into a rhyme scheme you can't keep up, and so on. All of those things happen. And what's really difficult for us is letting that bit go and mm. actually saying, okay, I've got to take this out, but I really want to put it... No, surely, I think it works, doesn't it? I'll ask some people, I think it works. And eventually, it doesn't work, does it? It's actually not helping the song. Now, I suppose one of the differences for us is that, you know, uh, Matt can't cut a piece out of his painting and stick it on another one. I mean, he right. can reinvent right. that as his style, I suppose. But we can cut a lyric out and go and stick it in a book somewhere or in a file. And, mm. I, and I've got a bunch of those. I don't yeah. really go back to them, if truth be told. Because um, one of the things, he, I just quoted him, he said... Um, so it's right down. People who have a hard time killing ideas aren't doing enough work. Because um, he was really majored on this point of work is the secret to creativity. Uh, he quoted Picasso, who said, inspiration exists, but it has to find you working. Basically, you have to work and then inspiration comes and joins in rather than you wait for inspiration and then you work hard at it. And if you're going to be creative, you're going to have 20 ideas and one of them is going to be good. And that is going to be the normal kind of process. Hmm. And if you're not doing that, then if you get a, one good idea, it's going to be really hard to let it go because you've you, you've no idea that you'll get more. Uh, but if you're constantly about generating new ideas and stuff, so I found yeah, that really, yeah. really, really useful. Um, at uh, a, one of the songwriters consultation events, maybe a couple of years ago, um, there was a guy speaking on the value of failure, mm. and that reminds me of what you just brought up there and he referenced i'm probably going to butcher it but he referenced a study that uh was done where they took a group of uh fine art students and um uh, taking a pottery class and they they broke they they split the class in half and they challenged one half of the class to focus completely on making you know over a certain period the most beautiful pot that they could uh, possibly come up with and the other half of the class, they challenged to make as many pots as they possibly could uh, during the period it was, whatever, a couple mm. of weeks, I guess it was. I can't remember. Um, and then they got everyone back together and um, they had a sort of a, an objective art critic judge the, the works that had been produced. And they found that all of the most beautiful pots were actually in the group where the students had been trying to produce the most possible pots uh, and and the, the the point or the the sort of the idea there is that uh, uh, exactly as you were, you were saying that um just doing the work again and again and mm. again is what is what makes you great actually and if you focus too much on on trying to be great in the first instance it kind of paralyzes you and you don't you don't do your best work you don't learn from your failures yeah Absolutely. My, I was thinking so in terms of it's kind of a challenge to 
songwriters listening to this, I guess would be to go back to some stuff you're working on and say to yourself, honestly, have I got, where's my darling in this? Where's that little line in it, which I really Mm. like, but is stopping the whole thing. It just doesn't really work or is somehow making the song lock side or whatever it might be. I often say to our writers, actually, um, tell you what, how about just take that away and park it to the side Mm. and then just have another go at something else and see if you get something that's better. Right. Kind of giving them a hope that they could bring it back if they need to. And most often we do, and I, because I do the same, most often I work on it some more and I realise, oh yeah, that's, yeah, come up with something much more appropriate, otherwise much better for the song. Give us another takeaway, Chris. So my second takeaway was I went to a seminar led by Lester Ruth, who's an academic at Duke University, studying the history of contemporary worship and uh, was sharing... uh, a collection of uh, thoughts from his findings um, as he's been doing that. Uh, and it was absolutely fascinating. He's mainly tracing the history of contemporary worship in the United States, but uh, obviously the the kind of the cross-pollination is so enormous that it, it felt very relevant and very recognisable. Uh, the main thing that I'm taking away from that is he divides um, uh, contemporary worship into essentially two streams. There are two streams that are flowing and eventually coming together to produce contemporary worship as we had it. One he calls praise and worship, and that's uh, the stream who centre around um, the scripture from Psalm 22, where it says God inhabits the praises of his people. Mm. Uh, and so there's a kind of, uh, I think he called it a sacramental um, uh, kind of theology of praise and worship, of, of contemporary worship. So we're going to encounter God uh, in these songs as we worship him, as we are obedient uh, to the instruction to worship, then God meets with his people. I definitely recognize that in yeah. teaching that I've had and, and, and that I've experienced. Um, and he divides that from another quite distinct stream, um, which flows from uh, Willow Creek and seeker-sensitive um, churches, where uh, the the kind of driving impetus, impetus of writing new songs was missional. It was music's changed, culture's changed, and we need to write stuff that... Uh, engages people where they're at now rather than, uh, you know, the hymns of old. Um, and so that the kind of motivation for writing new songs is uh, to, to reach the lost. Um, and I just, I found that absolutely fascinating, that kind of distinction. And, and he observed that the, the two streams now kind of are, are merged and, and flow together. Yeah. But I really recognise that as I um, kind of certainly read the history of contemporary worship in the UK. I read um, Les Moore's book recently and uh, yeah. you can kind of see see those threads to some degree kind of weaving together in the UK story as well. And I just found that absolutely fascinating. And I also th- think in terms of, you know, my own songwriting, like it's a really interesting question. Am I, um, you know, is, is this song uh, to do with encounter with God and uh, that kind of theological drive of God is, is inhabiting the praises of his people uh, or am I setting to uh, contemporary music kind of the old songs and the old stories of the faith? You know, obviously there'll be a blur between yeah, yeah. those two, but I found that a really interesting uh, kind of mode of analysis. For, yeah, and this uh, contemporary worship. I mean, I've been I've been thinking for a while that I that I think I increasingly struggle with the idea that the reason we sing is to encounter God, mm. um, and and even though I can see. I can see truth in it, and I and I have experienced. I have experienced it. I I can't. I've struggled really to justify it theologically, or um, or, or even just sort of philosophically. Um, that that is in a sense that the singing is necessary for that. I understand about it the way it helps with our emotions and it focuses us, and we engage with truth in a way that we can't do in other ways. Mm. We do something collectively, um, but the, almost the idea that that's what we gather on a, together to do. Um, and and having having someone like you know somebody obviously of the caliber of Lester Ruth as well, but um, being able to say, well, do you know this idea actually traces back to this chap in Reg Lazell in Canada <laughs> yeah. in 1960 or whatever it, right. it was, um, who had this you know had this idea, um, and it makes you ask then that question. It's a really good thing for us to do constantly about worship, isn't it? What, why did I? What are my assumptions? What are my ideas that I just base all of this on? And what grounds do I have for those? And that's hard. That's challenging. You know, you could say the same things about our faith in Jesus. What are my assumptions? And to be honest, there's a bunch of assumptions in there because it's very exhausting to keep re-investigating every aspect of it, isn't it? Um, But do you think, therefore, do you think we're skewed then? I mean, let's think about the the British thing. I think the British scene is a bit more 
is a bit more homogenous than yeah like i feel like as i was listening to that i thought um it feels like a much more blended story in the uk not i i i hesitate to tread where i am not not really an expert but but reading Les's book, The Missing Jewel, which uh, which you kindly gave me a, a couple yeah. of months ago. Thank thank you very much for that. Um, uh, I, I definitely it seems like the kind of the motivations are much more blended. There's definitely that sense of um, the uh, kind of charismatic renewal and uh, the sense of of worship engaging our hearts in a, in a new and a fresh way. Um, but then, you know, with uh, youth praise and uh, that kind of side of the story, there's also the missional motivation, the mm. desire to engage, you know, the new generation with um, with the old truths is, is right there in the mix as well. So I kind of recognize both threads and obviously I can really perceive the way that um, the Vineyard mo- movement particularly influenced, has influenced UK uh, worship music yeah. uh, and worship writing, um, but it, it does feel like a bit more of a blended story here. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole thing for me also makes me think. What that question you ask at the end, you know, at the end of a Sunday service: How did the worship go? Did the work? Did it work? Was it good? What What are my <laughs> criteria for assessing it? Um, and it makes okay. Let me just think carefully about what are those criteria. How do I and and not just let it slip into what has become, I guess, a default in the culture that I've been part of. Um, yeah, did we really meet with God? But mm. are there other questions I need to be asking about it? Okay. And I, think yeah. that's, I think that's good. Um, I've got a brief takeaway. Another, I'm afraid, we've got quite a few things from Isaac Wardell. He's, it turns out <laughs> he's quite a wise chap. He did, it was a really simple thing. This was after the conference. We went to a lunch at the Church of the Redeemer in... Um, Michigan, where we were in um, Christ the Seven. Christ, sorry. Let's start again. We went to okay. a lunch at the Church of the Servant in Grand Rapids, um, where quite a lot of the um, the guys from the seminary obviously go and are involved and so on. Um, and it just happened there was a, a lunch afterwards that Isaac was there talking about. And he was talking about various things, actually about stuff to do with racial reconciliation and the events in Charlottesville, which mm. is where his his he lives and his church is based. Um, but he just made one comment about how, you know, were they were they ready to, to respond to that? And he said, well, actually, they'd been exploring lament in worship for a good year or year mm. and a half before that. And I've heard a lot about this. And I my, my struggle with lament is an entirely personal one that I just really like to make jokes and not think deeply about sad things all the time. It's just it's just not my thing. Um, and I suspect that means I'm I will burst f- from repressed sadness or something one day. Um, but. I thought this is very wise. He said, one of the things we had to do when we were asking our church to go deeper in lament was also to ask them to learn to go higher in praise. Oh, yeah. mm. That actually it, was about, it wasn't about shifting the centre, it was about stretching the whole thing. And I thought, gosh, that's why. So if you're, if you're thinking, yeah, we need to have more real sadness in church, mm. we actually need to have more real praise that's not just trite, right. that's not just, you know, reeled off and, and that's not just middle of the road and but actually allow if we're gonna have a space for the sad uh, for the for the struggling to express themselves, let's have a space for the joyful to genuinely express themselves. Um and so yeah, brief that's brief. But that has really got me thinking. Good, yeah. I was thinking about that as I was warming up my voice uh, to lead worship on Sunday, actually. So that was good—a nice little memory aid, yeah. like both to warm my voice up and to uh, and to make sure we're we're touching the full breadth of legitimate uh, uh, tones in worship. Yeah, uh, cool. I'm going to follow that through as well because while we're on it, and I'm back to Isaac um, and to the um, to the Porter's Gate stuff. Um, but also the sort of the general sort of stylistic thing that there was in the in the Bifrost Arts things as well. And just been I've been challenged about my the narrowness of my sort of stylistic boundaries musically. Okay. Particularly musically, I think, and the way I structure songs and maybe what I expect them to do. Mm. And I've got very much into a kind of pitch it low verses with a lot of content and then burst out into the chorus within a kind of explosion <laughs> right. of something. And that's great. Yeah. And, that, and that clearly works very well. But a lot of the songs that these guys do, they're not really doing the same thing. There's a kind of... No. They stay on the same level through the whole song, yeah. or they start up high, big in the verse, and then the chorus is, does a different job. It does a right. quite often really simple meditative, more of a meditation on something. In fact, sometimes mm-hmm. the whole thing has a sense of it's a kind of a meditation. So therefore, it you know, 
can I say these words exactly truthfully from my heart? Well, no, but that's not the point, because what I'm doing is I'm meditating on the words as I sing them. And so that becomes a different question. Um, do I need to reach the chorus and explode in praise? No, because actually what I'm going to do is meditate on truth. And that's going to be profound um, and rich and deep. Um, and somehow I think the more folky style of them probably is more akin to that kind of mm. um, that kind of music. I don't know what you thought about that. Chris, because obviously you've been, you know, you've been well acquainted with their stuff as well. Yeah, I really agree. I I, I recognise that observation completely, and I've I've been trying with my own songwriting to, um, to yeah, just, I, I guess diversify from just you know as you, exactly as you say, low low verses bursting into a chorus, um, because I think that that kind of model of songwriting that that structure. Um, lends itself really well to certain themes obviously you know there's a lot of things where you know actually we want to you know reflect on some stuff and then really enthusiastically respond Mm. Um, but that that model of songwriting doesn't lend itself very well to a a bunch of other themes and something like vocation is not something where there's an you know necessarily going to be an explosion you know uh, every 30 seconds into a chorus actually something that is more of a meditation is probably more useful for people to be kind of mulling and singing yeah um you know while, while they're doing their jobs during the week that kind of thing and and so i have been reflecting similarly since my engagement with um this kind of the, isaac wardell and other other writers like him uh you know how can i write songs that that perform a, a different kind of worshiping function yeah that uh, allow a different sort of meditation what i did i did this yesterday actually i was just thinking i was trying to do a little bit of writing and i just thought I'm just going to listen to a. Um, I just listened to one of the Bifrost tracks, and I thought I'm just going to copy the guitar rhythm. I'm just going to start from that guitar rhythm. Oh, interesting. And, it, and isn't that funny? Even the way that even the guitar rhythm was just right. something a slight tempo that it had a steadiness to it. And so I started singing, and I ended up at this kind of thing. I started doing this meditation around. I was just reading a bit of Titus. I'm justified by faith or by grace. Mm. Grace, um, and I'm just going. Yeah, purely by just picking a guitar rhythm, that setting a mood and kind of giving me something new to play with. This is exciting. I don't know if it'll turn out to be a good song or not. I need yeah, to. Good. I might need to kill it as a, <laughs> as a darling. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. Chris, give us your your final takeaway from Great. our experience yeah. in Grand Rapids. Final takeaway. I mean, the whole experience was just so overwhelmingly abundant. It was such an amazing time. Uh, the content was absolutely unreal. Like, got to. Um, you know, hear world-class people on all kinds of different subjects. Um, but the thing that, that just blew me away was that actually, even when the content is that good, even when the whole experience is that good, um, I, I would still say coming home from it that the highlight for me was uh, connecting with people yeah. at the conference and sharing that experience with people. We uh, went with a, a group from the UK and it was brilliant to meet those guys. Mm. And uh, we connected with uh, some of our our mutual friends from uh, the Liturgy Fellowship Facebook group uh, while we were there. Hello, Liturgy Fellowship. Hello, Liturgy Shout Fellowship. out to anyone who's listening. Well, I, um, co- I and- coined a word in response to that. Did you yeah. think it was clever? <laughs> yeah. I said yeah. It- they were people we intermet, as in met on the internet, intermet, and then we really met. Nice. Yeah, when, yeah. One day when that is common parlance, trace it back to this podcast. It started here. Yeah. <laughs> Carry but on. But it was Sorry. just so it was so rich. And I was I've been reflecting on that because it you know, how could it how could it be that, uh, you know, just meeting up with folks like actually goes above even this brilliant content. And I think a part of it is just sharing the experience together. It is such an overwhelming experience, such a full on thing. You're, you're just getting so much input and being able to process that with uh, you know, with others who are kind of having the same experience and are also worship leaders or songwriters or, you know, theologians thinking about worship. It's just so valuable. That's where it really, I found it was in those conversations yeah. that, that the stuff really kind of sunk in for me. Um, and, and then just uh, connecting with folk uh, who are, uh, you know, doing the same sort of stuff, songwriting and uh, directing worship at churches uh, and things. And just having that sort of sense of, oh yeah, this is the community. I think it can be sometimes a bit of a, a lonely business being a, a worship director or yeah. a worship songwriter because usually there's kind of one of you or maybe a couple of you uh, in a church setting and perhaps, uh, I don't mean to be unfair to everybody else, uh, but 
perhaps we can be tend to be the kind of people that that prefer to withdraw into our uh you know studies or yeah. whatever and uh, and shut out the outside world that's definitely my tendency and so to 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 just be in a place where i'm uh you know in community with others who really who really get that and who are you know having this uh, rich and amazing experience um and uh you know who there's a history of of dialoguing about these things it was just it was so profound i'm i'm left with such a sense of kind of richness in the body of christ by uh spending time with uh, everyone that we hung mm. out with uh, during during the I symposium. completely completely agree um we had a really nice um one of the evenings we hung around in the venue after the after everyone had cleared up and sat around the grand piano yeah. with a guitar and with a bunch of uh, I mean, I don't think most of us had met each other before, but we'd connected on the uh, on the internet, and so we were all making friends um, and played each other some of our songs. We just yeah. took turns at playing a song. Do you know? I've sort of I've balked at that kind of thing in the past, uh, partly because <laughs> it's my sort of there's a shyness, partly yeah. uh, and a lot of it because there's a sort of a fear of I, I don't understand my motivation within it. You know, I get a bit conf- confused about it like what am i why am i sharing is this is a show off or is it and therefore let me mm, just not do it mm. um i'm amazed by how, how profound that actually was for us yeah forming us as a little group and then we all became buddies and spent the rest of the conference hanging out together and yeah you know, went out to yeah. the brewery in the evening and so on um and yeah i guess songwriters i think i want to say songwriters play your songs to each other when you meet it's a bit yeah. embarrassing but it doesn't matter just treat it as a social exercise if you have to yeah um it will you you open up. It makes you vulnerable, yeah. and yeah. and that draws you closer into into relationship, doesn't it? Mm. I was also struck by how good the songs were. I'm a bit embarrassed. Oh, you know, you're sort Humbling, of a bit embarrassed yeah. by the, all the other really good songs. Yeah, and you sort yeah. of think, goodness, when we're just a tiny little collection of people doing this. How many? Yeah, you know, how many people out there? And, and I suppose I hope loads of people are writing really good songs. And at the same time, from a a purely sort of slightly mercenary or professional point of view i hope my job my role in in life is not completely redundant because it's completely right. unneeded um right but yeah i thought yeah amazing really fancy i really really loved it well thank you everybody for listening to uh chris and myself as we um processed externally our experiences <laughs> um I hope it's been helpful. There's a lot of different stuff in there. And we might pick some of that up um, in things for future podcasts. We love to hear, as always, your thoughts on any of the stuff that we've said. There's lots of different themes that we um, that we covered. Um, we you can get in touch with us um, on podcast at resoundworship.org on email, Facebook slash resoundworship.org or Twitter at resoundworship. We do love to hear from you. We will read out stuff that you say as long as it's not too rude on the podcast. <laughs> Um, and we're always interested in ideas for things to discuss. But any of that stuff, and we haven't even—I t- mean, we had a—we had a whole day on um, inclusive worship, especially for those with uh, disabilities. Mm. Um, we haven't even touched on. There's loads of stuff. So that can going to come back another time, which we'll try and look at and think of that again, particularly from a songwriting perspective. Uh, but all that remains for us to do is uh, for me to say thank you very much to Chris. Thank you for joining me. It's been great to oh, have you as you. a co-host. Yeah. And uh, Chris, we're going to do a featured song, and we're actually going to feature your latest song, which is uh, oh, Worship the Lord. So uh, just give us an intro to that. Um, we'll probably play, play the intro under this, maybe, and uh, then we'll sign out with that. Okay, yeah, so this is a song. I wrote the chorus of this song, Driving Up the A1 to Newcastle, just so you can picture it. The Angel of the North is right there. Mm. Um, I was meditating on re- the themes from Revelation 4, and it kind of just burst out of me. And um, then I was trying to figure out, like, well, how do I set up this, uh, you know, this great expression of, of praise? And uh, I turned to Psalm 100, one of the brilliant call to worship in uh, the book of Psalms, and uh, basically based the whole song, the rest of the song, from Psalm 100. So here it is. I love the way that uh, it puts the scene of worship in Revelation uh, in conversation with the book of Psalms. Fantastic. Well, we'll, uh, we'll see you again next time. Bye-bye. Worship the Lord with joyful songs of praise. Sing of His life, His everlasting Of all things, 
Rejoice and bless His name. 